0: welcome to life of the brand the podcast bringing you the latest from the world of advertising and promotion directly
1: from professionals working in
0: their industry
1: this week we're talking about year-end trends and how the challenges of 2020 are creating big opportunities in 2021 if you know where to look this is life of the brand
0: welcome to life of the brand i'm brian wink
1: here with kevin wade This week we are joined uh, by a guest host for the entire episode, Phoenix Santos. Phoenix is a native New Yorker, proud of his Ecuadorian and Puerto Rican descent. Uh, He has 20 years of experience as an art and creative director. His notable clients include Paramount. DC Comics, The New Yorker, NYU, Yale, Vibe, Zappos, Mercedes-Benz, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Camel Cool, Three Olives Vodka, LRG Clothing, 1800 Tequila, and more that I can't fit on my cue card. Um, In addition to his advertising and production chops, he's a photographer, animator, illustrator, graphic designer, 3D modeler, graffiti artist, and music producer. I don't know what he's doing here talking to us. His time is way too valuable, but Phoenix, thank you so much for joining us for this episode.
2: Thank you guys for having me, I appreciate it.
1: (laughs) Now we're excited to have Phoenix on because uh, I think Brian and I uh, we always talk about how we focus a lot on kind of the number side, the account side. Whenever we talk about things within the world of marketing and advertising, the first thing that, that we think about is uh, the implications for how we talk to clients about things, how we strategize for clients. And so we're excited to have Phoenix on because we really wanted to um, pick his brain for some of these topics from the creative side, right? Phoenix, you're you're completely other side of the brain from us. Um, and so we want to get uh, Get some of your thoughts on some of these topics that that we're going to uh to bring up and talk about within uh this week in the world of advertising so um brian why don't you kick us off
0: okay i can do that uh so one of the things that's going on right now and there's there's a lot of conversation about this is you know as far as digital content goes can you really control where your your advertising is landing, and you are perceived by the guests you you hang out with. And so, if your advertising shows up on on different platforms that has uh, controversial messaging or or whatnot, where does your your brand fall in line with these things? And um, this week, Monday, in fact, two things really happened uh, that address this question. And uh, I, I'm going to hit the first one first the first one first how'd you like that one uh, i'm gonna hit the first one which is twitter ad added to its brand safety efforts on monday uh and it really created a partnership with double verify and integral ad science which is uh a growing concern and
1: uh go ahead i was gonna say so basically whereas everything else we're hearing in in the media right now is about how uh social media is trying to fight this idea of needing to be i guess I don't say more transparent that might be a little bit of a cynical way of saying it Twitter's actually coming out and saying we're actually going to partner with another company to to make ourselves more accountable
0: Two to other companies and and yeah they're they're kind of bucking the trend I mean they did it earlier in the the political uh, window when they really backed off on some of the uh, ad spend and and w- for a platform to walk away from that much ad spend uh, is is pretty remarkable but uh, you know Twitter really stepped up to the plate there, uh, and especially for a platform where a lot of people don't give it credit and and kind of mention that maybe that particular platform is a dying platform or whatnot. They're really doing things to reinvent uh, that direction. But you know these these guys they want to make sure that if you're going to spend your ad dollars with them that they can verify it and and uh, they they're. Movements on Monday is a recommitment to their undergoing uh, process, which is they want to really become accredited by the Media Ratings Council.
1: Hmm. And oh, so, that's interesting. Uh,
0: yeah, that that to me is a, a big step for uh, because when you think of uh, the media ratings council, you think of Nielsen and Comcast and and some yeah. of these reporting and and uh, all of a sudden for Twitter to go, hey, wait a second, you know, we're not just a social media platform. Uh, they're they're taking it in a, a different direction, but uh, and it it really kind of creates and reinforces that uh, the social media platforms play a very large role in creating safe environments for brands.
2: Yeah, what what are these uh, two companies doing exactly? Uh,
0: they, they verify the accuracy of the reportings. So, Mm -hmm. uh, I did kind of dive down into, to look at what they do. And it's basically one of the big things for, for advertising people is when you go to post and and you want to audit or make sure that your, uh, campaigns actually executed, what your intentions were. Um, you know, so you get analytics that says you had 15,000 impressions and you had, um, you know, 125 clicks and, and, or if you're on pre-roll, if you're on video and you, it says that you had 20,000 views. Well, what these platforms do is they go in and verify that, um, you know, it's not counting. If your page loads wrong and an ad is cut in half uh, or it, it's on a break, uh, that doesn't count as an imp- a full impression. So this really goes in and balances that out and, and uh, makes sure that you are getting what you're paying for.
1: So it's accountability more for its advertisers. whereas Everyone's talking about accountability for its users, like that's obviously one thing, and that's something that just goes back and forth every second of every day, it seems like. But Twitter's really trying to focus on, hey, if we're gonna try and be a platform to uh, maintain our relevance, we need to make sure that we are uh you know (laughs) it you know paying the bills as it were right we need to make sure that we are we are we, we have systems in place so that our advertisers trust us as well and then the the outpouring from there would hopefully be greater trust for the platform as a whole
0: yeah yeah so basically in my opinion what twitter's doing is is they're really going yes we're a social media platform and yes people can come on and put their opinions on and everything else but they're really somewhat backing away from the social media platform and becoming more of a um, distribution of information platform and mm-hmm. trying to add some legitimacy by bringing the accuracy uh, accountable, accountability levels up. So uh, that's kind of what I'm saying. So, so Phoenix,
1: from a brand standpoint, what do you think this, this could possibly do for Twitter's brand from the way they're perceived, from the way that they're acting? What do they stand to gain from this?
2: I think I think the huge issue that they had was that there was um, preference, like preferential treatments for certain demographics for Twitter, and I think with this it creates more transparency and like bringing in third parties to to kind of oversee things. I think that's a step in the right direction because especially if you're you're heavily criticized for being. Um, for, for not being impartial, right? So it's like, yeah. how can we? Let's pull back and how can we look at this and say, well, let's rectify this. If this is how the optics are playing out, let's do something that will assure you know everyone that we're actually being more transparent and we're doing our best to to be as transparent as possible. And I think that's a you know a huge step that I didn't think was gonna happen, and it's a it's a pleasant surprise.
1: Yeah, and it's a a movement away from this idea of a monopoly. If you're actually willing to let a third party or several third parties into your metrics to verify your metrics, they're like, look, we're an open book. Whereas, you know, historically and overwhelmingly, Facebook, Apple... Um, Google there no we're just going to do it internally we we have purchased or created all of these different entities in order to create this accountab- accountability I'm doing air quotes here um, <laughs> because yeah it's, it's all them right they're like oh I've told myself and then we talked to myself but then we all made sure to tell myself that we're doing fine don't worry we're being accountable yeah. <laughs> and so no no I love sense. that yeah what else you got going, Brian? Uh,
0: so there was a second thing that happened uh, on Monday that is a little bit more controversial, but I really liked what they did, and uh, that one is the porn industry. Uh, oh boy, Pornhub came out and uh, really kind of made some moves that are sending a few. Uh, apprehensive shockwaves through the social media realm. Um, and let me let me kind of tell you why this is as important to me uh, as, as it is. Um, when I when I went in and did some research on this particular topic because I kind of saw it and I was like, really the porn industry is gonna call out social media and I started <laughs> looking at it and uh, I, there's a few things that I didn't know like um, over 35% of all internet downloads are porn related. And porn sites get more visitors per month than Netflix gets. And so, you know, you you start looking at it and you go, okay, well, yeah, maybe these guys do have a little bit of leverage or maybe they do have some some backing. But a very interesting thing happened. And that is um, Visa, MasterCard and Discover came together. And they they really said, based off of a report that came out from the New York. um, uh, Let's see, I think it was the New York Times uh, that said that there was some examples of child pornography on there and then also unconsensual porn and, and different uh, fetishes and, and everything else. And Pornhub came out and said, you know what? We have a lot of unverified users that upload content onto to their site. So what they did was they actually came out and, and let's see, uh, I'm gonna kind of quote this a little bit cause I wanna be accurate. Uh, Pornhub has removed a majority of its content uploaded from unverified users as part of a series of changes following allegations that the site showed videos of child abuse and non-consensual sexual behavior. Um, the the guy comes out, and or the, the CEO comes out and says that they have enacted the most comprehensive safeguards in user-generated platform history. Now, that's a very key statement to me. Uh, most comprehensive safeguards in user-generated platform history. That is your social media platforms. Yeah,
1: Yeah, so it's basically saying that, like, we have now, you know, we have now enacted the most stringent protocols of anybody. Like, say what you will about what we do, but, you know, like, is is the social media platform that you and your grandmother use every day? Like, are they as stringent in the way that they regulate information as we are? That's crazy. Well,
0: well, now wait, it gets better. So then they came in and they said um, they are... uh, Barring unverified uploaders from adding new content, eliminating the ability to download most videos as well, uh, and has removed all previously uploaded content that was not created by Pornhub verified content partners or members of its adult performing network. That's these huge. changes that would be
1: yeah. like youtube that would be like youtube saying all right if you are not partnered with us your videos are now being taken down yeah yep. they
2: have to <laughs> at that point they're they're yeah. backed up into a corner right where you're kind of like it's kind of like an art gallery right before they had an art gallery and and random people just come in and put their art on the walls and they do <laughs> whatever they want so now you have to curate it right so you have to because all these allegations are out there and it's and and let's say if you're on Facebook and people are posting things like I can't control everything that everybody is posting, but they're going to have to get a lot more stringent. This is great. Yeah.
0: yeah. Well, and then it goes on to say, um, the change took, this is amazing to me. The change took the number of videos on the website from 13.5 million videos to under 3 million. Wow. They just eliminated, uh, 10 million videos off of their, their uh, website. And it says, going forward, content creators must become verified using Pornhub's process uh, that involves uploading a picture of themselves along with their username and some background questions. But here's where it gets really good for me. okay? And that is the Canadian based website jabbed the other social media websites uh, on Monday, writing that Every piece of Pornhub content is from a verified uploader and requirement that platforms like Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, Snapchat, and Twitter have yet to institute. And then the CEO follows that up with In today's world, all social media platforms share the responsibility to combat illegal materials. Solutions must be driven by real facts and real experts. We hope to have demonstrated our dedication to leading by example.
1: Welcome to 2020 Pornhub leading social media ethics. Right. Could could
0: this be any uh, more of an upside down year? I mean, (laughs) but but if you look at it with with everything that's been going on during the election cycle and post election cycle, and the scrutiny that these social media platforms have come under, the antitrust that has come out against um, Facebook and, and Instagram and WhatsApp, and, and, the, and then what Twitter did as their movement, you're seeing a massive shift mm-hmm. in the security. But, you know, and what, what kind of stuck out to me as well was from a brand standpoint. No, I don't have any porn brands that, that I work with or, or anything else. But from a branding standpoint, it's really a pretty smart move by Pornhub. If, you, if yeah. you think about it, they just came out and basically said they are now going to have the safest porn site for you to visit. Where you yeah, don't have to be concerned.
2: Uh, it's such a strange yeah. of, of what's going yeah. on but, but there. But it's, so, it's so interesting because objectively you pull back and then you see like all these social media comments about like how Pornhub don't support porn because, you know, they're they're utilizing people, you know, like negative issues and these are people who are not consenting. And then so Pornhub is like, okay, if you want accountability, I'm going to step, I'm going to be the leader, start this new new path. And then it's like, all right, now everyone else has to step up too. And I think that's kind of like, you throw you're throwing down a gauntlet.
1: Yeah, if you're not yeah. willing to step up. Then you you know you were you know if you're not willing to step up then like come at me like they don't have anything else to go at them with right like you either you either follow suit or you admit that you're that 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 even at the most basic level you're not willing to combat illegal activity in that same way now yeah. obviously the, the if you talk about the the content of the sites the stakes are higher for Pornhub in needing to be able to regulate that but it does then trickle down to kind of the breadth of everything that is posted and. and experienced on the other social media platforms yeah um that's crazy you You know and and i kind of uh, it is but and
0: i look at it and say you know does pornhub really have enough leverage to make an impact on on these other guys they're they're not as big as facebook they're from Uh, canada brand wise they're not as big (laughs) as facebook and tiktok and all these others
2: (laughs) we have power eh
0: (laughs) (laughs) but yeah so i was reading that just interestingly i was kind of skimming through it and then when they said the they were taking the most comprehensive safeguards against user generated platform history i was that that really caught my attention and and i read deeper into it and did a little more research and found it has some pretty good implications so those are my two topics or that nice. that is my one topic that i took two and combined them together to make one nice. no, very sneaky
1: it's,
2: it's exciting though i i look forward to that because i feel like especially with social media on facebook you'll have people hacking accounts and then they'll be post they'll post ads and stuff selling stuff and it's like I'm so tired of that. So hopefully, you know, the other ones will follow suit and, and be more transparent and care more about verifying the their content.
1: Yep. All right. all right. I know that I know that we've the last few the last few episodes we've we've really been harping on the antitrust, the transparency, the privacy, all of that. Um I wanna talk about something that I think Facebook has done right um (laughs) recently um so just this week uh facebook's research uh department facebook's research team released uh released a um a report called content consumption and culture perspectives from the entertainment industry so what this is is facebook is trying to lead the way for its marketers in putting together research to let us marketers know what we need to be paying attention to for 2021 and they're using not only their own data but they are using data from across the entertainment industry to put together what 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 are basically five key takeaways from 2020 for marketers based on the entertainment industry and I thought these were fascinating because a lot of these things are things that we have talked about within the last few weeks internally as we as an agency uh, begin planning for 2021 with our clients so I'll just run through these really quick and um, if you're listening, we're gonna have the link to this full report uh, in the uh, in the the comments or in the description of uh, of the show. But real quick, we want to talk through them, and I wanna I wanna get you all's takes on these. So. We've got, uh, number one is the content economy, which is more time spent at home has led to to heightened demand for content, right? That's that's just a given. Um, That leads into something they're calling communal consumption. People are replicating the social experience digitally. That's again, that's something that we all know. How many of us have been in 15 person Zoom meetings where we're trying to talk to our family over the last eight or nine months trying to replicate that social situation. Um, Inclusive diversity is something Thing, uh, that, that one of these one of these uh, these things that that's going to be important and that has popped up in 2020. And is going to be important for 2021, which is consumers are demanding better representation, more diversity in media and entertainment, which is something uh, that 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 has that this has been a rallying cry for a long time, right? But 2020, for a number of reasons, is a year that that brands cannot stay silent anymore, nor should they. And so, so many of these catalysts in 2020 uh, are 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 basically. are are shining light on this like it never has been shined on before. Like twenty I'd I'd like to say this, twenty twenty is the year that you have to make a decision. Like when when we're in years of of comfort, when we're in years where where you don't actually have to have an opinion, uh, it's really easy to push these kinds of issues under the rug, right? But twenty twenty is the year where where you need to make where 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 basically you're 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 forced to not stay silent anymore for any one of a variety of reasons.
2: Yeah, and I think I think because of COVID, um, people have a lot more time to reflect, right? Yeah. You have a lot more spare time, a lot more time to reflect on things, a lot more time to analyze the media that you consume. And then you start to, to break things down and you know, and I think this is it's great because you start to see things like uh like I was talking earlier about like representation and just even for like kids who see themselves like whatever ethnicity you are just to be able to see yourself in a, as a lead in a film or animation or anything it's kind of it inspires them to create more content so it's like it's encouraging this this culture of um, anyone can do it it's like getting more people to contribute as opposed to if we were all just showing it's always like a, a white blonde blue-eyed person and that's all you have so it reduces the amount of creativity reduces the amount of inspiration people can have. So now I think a lot more stories are going to be coming out of this because people feel more comfortable with sharing their, their, their story. And I think it's, it's great for everyone because you get to get more perspectives and more, more, you get to hear more people's stories. And I think that helps everyone expand their mind. And
1: one thing leads into the other. Sorry, go ahead, Brian.
0: Well, I was just going to jump in there real quick. Um, Eric, uh, from our last podcast he and i were talking um, the other or last night actually about the relevance of content and this is something that we've been talking to our clients about for years is content is king content developing content is such an important aspect of not only your brand but making yourself a credibility uh, and a uh, more of a, a source of information about your products or about your services than in the past and what 2020 really done is it has made content take an even bigger step into that because people are now more internet driven, they're more uh, internet based, and they're using their time, their available time to do more of their own content uh, collecting. And, and finding the content that they want. Now, what this has also led to is an availability of time and then new content in which they may not have partaken in before mm-hmm. because of time restraints, because of things going on in life. Well, life's really been kind of put on pause in, in certain ways, and people are becoming more aware. And I think that's where this diversity push comes in as well. Mm-hmm. Is people are ab- absorbing more content, which is making them self-analyze a little bit. Yeah. Chelsea and you know my my wife and I uh, just the other night were I asked her the question. I said, you know, our our goals have changed just a little bit in 2020 uh, from a personal standpoint, and and we've had some realizations. And I I asked her, it, did this change because? of the global impact or did this change because it gave us the opportunity to step back and readdress what was important to us as a family. And I think that that type of realization is, is really running pretty pretty solid and pretty, pretty hard uh, through America right now as well as globally
1: yeah that idea that you you have to now come to terms that there's nowhere left to hide you have to come to terms with what you believe how you act if is there anything you know you 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 cannot the 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 entire uh you know last few years has all been about exposing systemic issues and that that has been huge because we can't sit down and pretend like we're, we're not a part of it or we don't have some role in it anymore there's nowhere to hide and the amount so coupled with there's nowhere to hide because uh, we're literally all not doing anything other than reflect internally and consume external content but the amount of content that is coming out of that the amount of choices that you now have is allowing you once you have come to terms with your need to Uh, make a statement and align with something you now have way more content to help you along that journey so it's 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 uh, a it's mutually beneficial right the the time that we have to come to terms with ourselves and the proliferation of choice in the media that we have to consume because now and I think it's a good thing because it's a I think it's a it's a it's a nice little almost Uh, you know crossroads of chance it varied by chance that this crossroads came about that not only do we have more time to reflect but we also have more choice in order to help inform us about this kinds of stuff which was facebook's fourth point uh that basically leads through all these others which was you now have people are seeking out a higher degree of choice um that's interesting
2: that's interesting because it's like uh i forgot who was talking about with this too because we're like, already with COVID, you have this pressure cooker around the country, right? And then yeah. you had, like, for one example, like the the murder of George Floyd. We had situations before, like Rodney King. We had Mike Brown. And these things happened, they kind of, like, and they, they just continue to happen. But because with COVID happening in that pressure cooker and then the murder of George Floyd was kind of like a, this fire, this, like, flame that happened and dispersed, and then you start to see not only... um not only like marches in within that state but also you know na- nationwide and globally like seeing people all over the world and it's interesting it's like when when times are tough like we kind of stick together we're like this is not right so people are a lot more uh proactive about when they feel like things are unfair and i think all of that is kind of going into like with the content they watch and like the the options that they have like same thing with the but i think people have a lot. When, when things are under pressure, you're, you're analyzing things a lot more. And I think you're really um, like like when you eat, like when you eat something, it's not just like the food, you're consuming content, right? Like that goes to your, mm-hmm. your psyche, like the music you listen to. So it's like, oh, wow, what? You have more, more time to analyze. What am I listening to? What am I watching? Like, is this okay? And why?
1: And why am I doing the whatever yeah. I'm doing, why am I doing it? Am I, am I doing it because it, It proliferates a feeling of comfort Am I, am I just trying to build up my own comfort or am I doing this because it is something I believe in? And where does that balance now exist in a world where there is so much room for you to make an impact and make a statement? Because that's what we want as a world right now. We are, we are physically being forced to pull back and remain in one place, which makes us mentally want to reach out and explore further. So that's this crazy dichotomy of, of 2020, which I think is Creating some really cool stuff creatively in yeah. terms of, uh, you know, obviously the entertainment that's come out and all of the choice for the, the information we gather. But for us as advertisers, this, uh, it, it almost does the same thing where it forces us to shake ourselves out of any sense of, uh, you know, any sort of autopilot, which is, I think, really, mm. which has been really easy over the last, I would say, uh, five, six, seven years, it's been really easy for advertisers to go on autopilot because we have things like digital media, things like Google that just feeds us new ways to be able to place our clients um, in front of their consumers. Uh, you know, it, it, pr- production quality for, for creating videos, there's so much more DIY to it right now. But I think 2020 uh, and everything that's coming of it, forcing us out of our comfort zones, forcing us into Uh, or forcing us out of apathy and into a more uh, purposeful direction, that's going to, if advertisers can jump on board with that and say, oh no, we are telling stories for our clients that mean something. uh, Every client we have Uh, they they are in their business because that business means something special to them so what kinds of stories can we tell that 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 shakes brands out of apathy moving into 2021 that builds them back up from where they might have stumbled or fallen short in 2020 for a variety of reasons that's what we should be looking at as advertisers and as creatives for 2021
0: yeah yeah i i'm completely in line with you. And I was just about to, to say before you kind of mentioned it was, you know, this is the time where a lot of companies are leaning towards advertising agencies versus uh, just somebody who can get out there and, and DIY it. Uh, you know, I have a marketing director and I, I can shoot this on my iPhone or or I've got a friend that, that does this because what we're having to do right now is really navigate through trying to find personally how to find our ways through this new and adverse time. And then as advertisers, we have to separate ourselves from that, use those those um, lessons that we're learning and guide brands through all of this self-discovery right now. Yeah. And what's so important from a creative standpoint is, you know, it's like you said, in the last five, seven years, you could just come up with these wild, crazy, creative ideas and run them because, you know, that's just the way business is going right now. (laughs) And what we're having to do now as marketers is we're having to be more strategic with the brand messaging and the, the, um, being a little bit more, Aware and not being tone deaf of situations.
1: It's not just telling a story, it's telling the story. In the past, we could just tell a story. As long as we were telling a story that got people interested, it would it would result in people being interested. Now there are too many stories out there and there's too much at stake for everybody to just tell a story. You have to tell the story. Because thus yeah.
2: It's so nuanced now too, right? So it's like you, it's. But it, I think it's great because you're you're challenged to to take on more things. Like let's say a parallel would be like mixed martial arts. You can be a great <laughs> mixed martial artist, right? And just do like kickboxing and uh, maybe you know that's and that's about it. But now. Like as 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 the art form evolves and things get become more challenging, you have to learn wrestling. You have to learn Brazilian jiu-jitsu. You, so you have to you're striking. You learn boxing, white like everything. You have to be more well-rounded so that you can attack things that, so you can be prepared to to address these nuance. Uh, narratives, Right. So you're not just yeah. kind of like, well, I do really good boxing. <laughs> it was like, well, you need to learn all these you need other to things learn
1: the other ways to do it. That, and that's what so that's what happened in like 2006 through 2010. Let's call that the advent of digital marketing. Right. Like all of these platforms, advertisers were forced to learn that. Um, and since we learned that, we're like, oh, great. Like we've got it. We have the new skill set. We 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 were boxers and now we learned grappling and so we're fine. All of a sudden, we're having to deal with some with Holly Holm flying at us with like a giant (laughs) kick and we have no idea what to do and we're Ronda Rousey and we're on the floor. But I (laughs) I just call out Holly Holm because she's local and I was about to say,
0: go for the Albuquerque girl.
1: Yeah, right. Uh, the Albuquerque girl. But yeah, so like that. No, that's totally right. And we're, we're at another crossroads where maybe maybe for different reasons and in different ways, we're having to learn how to tell the story again versus just telling stories. So yeah. I, I, I actually loved how Facebook put this report together because they use the entertainment industry as their catalyst. And so they're using storytellers to present us ways to tell better stories in 2021. And the, 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 the fifth part of this um, report, funnily enough, is the sustainability of streaming things like what we are doing right now, podcasts. Um, user generated content uh ott over the top any sort of streaming retention um we have a captive audience now in 2020 any streaming platform has a very captive audience and for the most part just across all uh verticals across any sort of statistic you can come up with people are streaming more people are with the, with actually the, the, the funny, the one exception is actually podcast because podcasts were such a drive time thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it, podcasts have actually, they, they haven't gone down, but they haven't gone up either. Whereas every other form of streaming media has, has increased greatly. And so how it, the, the question then for, for marketers that, that digest this content and read to this content is great. How do you use that to help tell your story or how do you use that to help tell the story of the clients, uh, that you are working towards and I. Think think it's going to be more important than ever to have a defined plan for how you are going to tell that story in 2021. This is this is kind of our 2020 year wrap up, right? So that's yeah. the one thing that we got to take away from this. Um, And all of this stuff that we're talking about, whether it be Internet accountability, whether it be storytelling, whether it be diversity, whether it be new platforms popping up to start challenging the big boys like Phoenix is about to talk about um, it, 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 the the importance cannot be stressed enough of intentionally staring down 2021 and understanding your path forward
2: yeah and i think i think for me to kind of like prepare myself for for this because and just understanding that there's more content out there it's like look at what people are talking about on social media mm-hmm. like, like queen's gambit lovecraft country there's all these shows that are coming up that i didn't watch before but i'm, I'm watching them and then you start to understand the narratives that people are absorbing
1: right it's, it's like part why of the culture the... you have to know yeah
2: you have to know keep up like what is the narrative of these stories and then why is it that, that these things are resonating with people? Pay attention to people's comments. You know, what is standing out to them? So it's like, then you start to take note of like, mental note of like, oh, these things are important to people. So it's like, okay, this makes sense. And that, that way it's like, or or I, I would want to do, I wanted to try this this narrative, but then Lovecraft Country did came and did something that I didn't think that people would try. And then, so it's like, oh, it kind of opens things up to like, oh, people are cool with this. People really like this concept or the story premise where I didn't think 10 years ago, any studio would pick up that show. and Or them, something talk like, about
1: them? yeah, something like a, the, you, the, the Mandalorian is the one I think of right off the bat where it's yeah. John Favreau uh, and Dave Filoni have basically proved that people are not sick of old Westerns and samurai movies. It's great. Like that's, Hello. it's, it's Love. so fantastic. But <laughs> the, the fact that they brought that back, something that hasn't been seen for years and something that is basically, you know, the show that is for, the Star Wars nerds is also a show for the cinephiles and being oh. able to and that that tells a story of its own of taking all of these inspirations around us and telling the story that needs to be told at that given moment so yeah the learning basically anything that's worth learning about how to communicate with people is coming from the entertainment industry right now whether it's you know you you seeing something that you thought uh, was not relevant anymore remain relevant or Phoenix like you said uh, you know seeing something that you never thought was possible or that 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 would ever resonate and all of a sudden that opens it up for you as creative director as somebody who who tells these stories and who needs to be the one uh bringing this up to to us in meetings right um that that gives you the license to do so and feel confident about it
2: yeah exactly and i and i just think that it's uh it's good though it's just like expanding your mind just just knowing like we can try different things and we can see things that we might never have tried before. And I just think that it's, it's nice to be able to see uh different stories. And I think because there's such a higher demand of content, I think that's why studios a little bit more open to trying out new things because of the demand is so high and they're and, and you have a limited amount of creators. So it's like, okay, give us more content. So I think yeah. they're, they're trying, they're being a little bit riskier now. And I think, uh, you know it's it's a great time for content I, I was just talking to rusty about that recently it's like looking at the disney plus rollout for the tv shows um the star wars rollout stuff the marvel stuff and it's like it's insane like it's it's a great time uh for content yeah
0: yeah but, but at I think some point it, it has to balance itself out right i mean like <laughs> you you get uh, we saw a too meme much this content. morning mm-hmm. On, no, we, uh, we're going to get great
1: content forever. It's just gonna yeah. going to keep going.
0: Well, but but what I'm getting at is like we, we saw a meme this morning on social media that uh, was kind of like a then and now situation. And it was like then in 1990s, it was like, what'd you do this weekend? Oh, I channel surfed and there was nothing on. So I ended up watching Friends. And then it was like now. And it's like, what'd you do this weekend? she's like, well, I scrolled Netflix, but there was too much for me to figure out what to watch. So I ended up watching reruns of Friends. You know, it's like, you know, it's it's, the same thing. It's the same thing, but like, there's so many options right now. Yeah. that you really kind of get a paralysis by analysis. It's like you oh, don't know yeah. what to
1: watch. And you spend half an hour sitting there just like, oh, my gosh, if I choose wrong, I have committed yeah. myself to something terrible <laughs> with <laughs> so real? many choices. No. And that that speaks to me. That speaks to my ability to choose this media. Yeah. Well, That's like funny.
0: literally last night I set the 30-minute timer on my son's TV, and then we sat there for a full 30 minutes trying to figure out what he was going to watch on Disney+. Plus. Yeah. Like, I used, we used up his whole 30 minute timer on trying to figure out what to watch. I was like, okay, time for bed. And that, that didn't
1: fly. So. Yeah, I have to give him right. another 30 minutes. Just so the that channel surfing. Oh gosh. But I Some. think this uh, I think this is a great segue, Phoenix, into to, to what you wanted to talk about, something that you found interesting that, that is coming out and is going to be important, pushing us into 2021. You talk about content, you talk about the ability to create content, and the for you, it's all about the tools that you have to do it with, right? Right.
2: Yeah, so I was kind of looking at uh talking of like about Disney Plus. So and how Disney's kind of like gobbling up all these properties, these intellectual properties, and they're doing a great job with it. And then Adobe is doing something similar where um, they recently bought um, a virtual reality sculpting tool. And then so I was like, oh, I thought medium. I thought that was just a strictly like an Oculus you know, program. And then so Adobe's b- bought that. And then recently they bought um, Substance Painter and Substance Designer, which is for uh, texturing characters for like 3D. And a lot of times it's it's kind of like 3D, people who work in like uh, 3D animation and in you know, my peers who are doing video games, they're, they're upset because you have like this four year, especially for video games and films, you have like this three to four or five year window where you're working on something. And then when you look at it, they much rather just have the old model where you're paying one time for a, a, an application and that's it. But now you have to pay every single month so all these programs that people are used to being, I just pay my money, I'm done, thank you, I can use it for like the next forever, right? Until now it's
1: antiquated to... and it doesn't work with my operating system anymore.
2: Yeah, and and it's actually, it, financially, it's like, what if your project goes for 70 years? Now you have to keep paying the subscription, your budget is out of whack, right? Yeah. So So it's kind of limiting people and forcing people into the subscription model where people are now getting so upset with Adobe that they're, it's getting to a point where people are, I'm seeing YouTube videos of artists who are like, well, I'm using Clip Studio Paint instead of Adobe Photoshop, or I'm, you know, I'm using um, Affinity Designer instead of Illustrator, right? So there's like all these alternatives that are popping up, but I think it's great because it's forcing, it's kind of showing Adobe, hey, you're not the only player in town. There's these other companies who are charging 45 bucks, 50 bucks for their program, and you can use it forever
1: it forces the free market, right? So Adobe's trying to do that thing that, you know, Disney, Apple, Google, they're all trying, they're all trying to basically make themselves closed systems and everything be proprietary. The problem with design is we know enough, there are enough smart people that know how to make these things, that know how to code these things, that know how to create these systems, to where, if you are a smart designer that finds something a smart designer has made, you can still make it work. So that is interesting. That it's kind of biting Adobe in the butt because Adobe's like, no, we're gonna, we're, we we are we are the masters of this market. We're going to uh, let everybody know that, like, look, we've got we've got all the influence to be able to purchase smaller companies, make them new monthly subscriptions, and move forward with that. And there's other people that are just saying, "I'm a good enough designer to be able to find a third party to make sure that I'm not beholden to what you're telling me I need to pay month over month."
2: Yeah, because it's yeah, like it's... I, Go ahead, I
0: can Brian. tell you from an operation standpoint. Uh, it seems to me like every other year I go to the creative department and say, "Do I need to keep doing this Adobe uh, subscription, <laughs> or is there another option out there?" And please and, tell uh, me there's
1: another option out there. No, and, and okay.
0: They always come back with, "No, this is really the only game in town if if we want to do high quality work." And and then as an operator, I'm you know cussing Adobe every single month when I'm I'm writing that uh, that check, but um you know at the same time it, it you have to look at it as a cost of business and but at what point do you find alternatives or or make alternatives work because it becomes an
1: unrealistic cost of of doing business and is and then you got to look at so then th- then is adobe trying to shift their focus from large ad houses that that are that, that have teams of professionals are they trying to shift Do they think that there's more money in a bunch of DIYers that are willing to purchase piecemeal month over month to learn this and become freelancers and just do it themselves? Does Adobe then think, I guess, that there's more value in in aligning themselves with the freelancer and the DIYer than satiating the ad houses that are paying for that for a team every single month? That's that. That's interesting. It seems to me like that they really are trying to catch the ears and the wallets of the DIYers.
2: Yeah, I think, but it's also it's. I can't. This is my my thought. I don't know this for fa- for a fact, but <laughs> it seems like the the mail-in rebate model, where, oh, you could get this deal if you do this mail-in rebate, and they're kind of like looking at Netflix and the success that Netflix has, and it's like how many people say they wanna cancel a subscription, but they end up not doing it, Not doing right? It. So it's like, oh, if they pay a subscription model, then they'll just keep paying the subscription even though they're like so busy, they can't do it. So it's they, a, it ends up They can complain
1: about it as much as they want, they can whine about it as much as they want, but when it comes down to it, they're not gonna cancel it because they know they need it and they don't have time to learn something else.
2: And people procrastinate. And that's a,
0: that, that's a lot of it. And when we talk to Adobe, and when I was going through their, their whole spiel about why they're going this route and everything else, it would, the the part that they were really trying to sell us on was the, you get the automatic updates. You will always have the latest version. You will always be on the cutting edge Cloud of what support, Adobe yeah. Adobe has to offer. And you won't have to buy new new versions uh, all the time. And, and that they're going to be, with the way technology's going, they're gonna be amping up their versions uh more often and this is going to be the best way to go and you know you kind of go okay well you know office has done the same thing microsoft has done the same thing they they went to the subscription model and and we pay every single month for emails (laughs) and word and and all these other and 15 other platforms that we don't even use and i'm going dang it but at the same time it's a cost of doing business and it's easy yeah it it is
2: What's interesting is that uh, Autodesk is another company that's guilty of it too. But what's interesting in the 3D realm is that, uh, so let's say typically you would use uh, Autodesk has like all these 3D programs. There's like very compartmentalized into specialties. But let's say a 3D Studio Max and Maya is is what people tend to use a lot. Uh, but there's a, a open source um, 3D program called Blender. And a lot of people are utilizing this, these things, the Blender, and they're actually starting to use them at studios because it's free, right? And then there's a big community and there's more information and like how to do certain things. And it's like, oh, that's interesting. And it's like, I don't even know how they, they, they're able to pull it off. But I think things like that are, are kind of really push, push the envelope in terms of like, that's why I respect companies like Pixelogic. Um, they have they make a zbrush and zbrush is a a digital sculpting tool where they're like okay we're giving you the option you can buy it outright or you can pay pay a a nominal monthly fee we have Mm -hmm. a a core version a light version we have a a, you know all these different tiers so it's giving people the option to choose what they want to do
1: because
2: let's say you might not have 800 dollars to buy the program but you might have 20 bucks a month that month to use it so
1: Yeah, Yeah. same thing with like what we're using right now, right? We're recording on, you you know, whether we choose to record on Pro Tools and pay all that. We're not. uh, I'm not going to be able to use Pro Tools or Logic Pro or any of that. So we downloaded Audacity, which is free, which basically does one thing: it records our voices, (laughs) and then we send it off, and it gets produced later on with somebody who does know how the system works to be able to use all that other stuff. So it really, it. I, I kind of. I kind of like that and I, I really just thought about this my 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 thought from earlier might be changing but I kind of like it in the sense that now if you're going to be paying a monthly f- subscription fee to learn this stuff like you better learn how to use it like you better be the pro that people come to in order to edit their podcast together and you can now use that you understand you're like hey look fine yeah you don't you don't spend your money trying to learn how to use it I already know how to use it you record it on a free open source software and you just give it to me and I'll use all I'll use all the the stuff that that needs to be used to make it sound good, and so if you're able as a as a professional to leverage whatever that is, um, I think that could be very useful because it's going to start pulling people in towards the people that do professionally know how to use these things. Because you're not going to want to pay, uh, you know, a, a monthly fee like some of these monthly fees are just to just to mess around.
2: Yeah. And I think the it's positive of it, too, is that it makes you pause and question your production, your workflow, right? So it's like, yeah. is this the best workflow we should be using? Is there another option that it's going to be more cost effective and does the same thing or even better, right? Yeah. So and that's like- that
1: free market thing we were talking about. It drives mm-hmm. the free market, forces you to make that decision. And so, I don't know, Adobe, you know, Adobe, it, it, it could go either way, right? Adobe could be pushing itself out of the, out of the number one spot by forcing people to go find other other options, or people could, I think, and this is what Adobe's banking on, they're banking on that their consistency, their cloud support, and their product are going to continue being so top-notch that it's just going to be the way things happen. We are a subscription-based world now. If you want to be a professional, you gotta pay the subscription.
0: Well, and and what you're seeing on TV right now and and online as well is, you know, and Adobe kinda has this market cornered, is a lot more uh, 3D-produced, video and Mm -hmm. or clay or um you know some type of background generation or or something else because we can't go and shoot a bunch of people like we used to be able to do you can't go and and you know we were we're looking at doing one where we had people on a bus well you can't do that right now and so (laughs) it's really changing the creative direction for a lot of creatives and creative houses and forcing the hand to go in this direction and so Adobe's somewhat kind of, you know, taking advantage of the situation right now, and and really a lack of other options in some of the
1: the uh, the areas there.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see how how it pans out.
1: I'm curious to see how all of this pans out. I think we covered uh, basically the entire realm of what our industry is dealing with right now, right? um you know which is ultimately the goal so i mean i hope that uh that that if you're listening in this provided you some context for what we deal with here on uh on a daily basis uh creatively on the account side on the strategy side and just in keeping up with with things like social media and privacy this is stuff that's that's important to us we have to be able to present our clients in an account in an accountable way um and we have to be staying on top of things enough to be telling these stories so ultimately that's why we're here this is our goal here at life of the brand um thank you all so much for joining us for this phoenix thank you for jumping on for the length of the entire episode we really appreciate that um so for all of us at life of the brand thanks a lot and uh we will see you next time